each of us has a moral responsibility if we are of voting age and if we are registered to participate in that decision. And so I come to California today and I'll leave here and go to Chicago and then to Detroit and then Baltimore, Maryland and New York to say the same thing. I come here to urge every person under the sound of my voice to go to the polls on the 3rd of November and vote your convictions. Welcome to another episode of Unjustly, a social injustice podcast. I'm your host, Sandy, and this is my co-host, Stephanie. Hello. So before we get started on the episode, I wanted to add a few things to the past episode. Um, So episode eight, the Michael David Roy case gained a ton of momentum online, Facebook and Instagram. Um, Steelville, Illinois definitely showed up for this episode. Y'all are wild. (laughs) I didn't realize, um, first of all, I didn't realize how small of a town it was, Um, but I also didn't realize, you know, how uh, extreme everyone felt about this. Passionate. Yeah, very passionate. Um, So I definitely underestimated the emotions that run high in a small town murder, um, and that town is definitely divided, and there was some pushback Mm -hmm. for the episode as well. Um, And we've seen it with like every single case we've done pretty much, even down to the first episode, the Fairbanks Four, mm-hmm. they were exonerated, but there's still people saying that they're guilty and that they were wrongfully exonerated. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be um, both sides. And I think that's great. I think that's necessary almost. Um, also, we have to always keep in mind the victim foremost, especially their surviving family who have to live with this for the rest of their lives, um, and they have to be respected 100%. So in Casey Morgan's case specifically, there is a little boy involved who will never get to have his mom back. He'll never know who she is or the love she had for him, so that definitely needs to be respected. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a new listener here, definitely go check out episode eight so you can understand what we're talking about. Um, But again, if you have any new information on this case that we did not know about, um, whether it's for or against him, please share it with us or the police or even the family. Um, So also from that episode, I have a learning moment. I said something wrong again. Um, So one of our listeners pointed out that it's not blood splatter. It's blood spatter. There's no L in it. I was shook oh my gosh. when that message came through. <laughs> I've been saying it wrong my entire life. And it's so embarrassing because I've been watched the entire series of Dexter multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never caught that. And so at first I was thinking, you know, maybe Dexter said it wrong. And that's how <laughs> I got, to, you know, to that conclusion. But I watched it again. And he says it right. He yeah. says spatter. <laughs> Um, so splatter means to fall or drop, but spatter is to spurt forth in scattered drops, which is what blood does, um, Mm -hmm. or to splash like a liquid. I couldn't stop laughing when I learned that I was saying it wrong. Um, but our listeners are the absolute best. So thank you for teaching us. Always send us corrections. We definitely want them and we're grateful to have them. Yeah. I can't say it makes much sense, but 
The spatter yeah. as opposed to splatter. I still like splatter because it goes splat. Don't ever let me say splatter again. All right. Uh, so we're getting close to the 2020 presidential election, and this is definitely going to be a big one. I know we've mentioned that you need to vote in like multiple episodes already, but this episode will be all about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, in honor of the upcoming election, I wanted to do an episode on multiple cases throughout the 1900s where black people were targeted and murdered just trying to exercise their right to vote. Um, I do want to say this is kind of going to be a two-parter almost. Um, so I'll be covering what I just said, um, some of the murders that happen behind voting rights. Um, and then next week, Steph is going to cover um, voting suppression in more detail. It's called Voting in America, a two-part series. There you go. Steph literally just made that up right now. And I think it's golden. <laughs> That's why you hired me. So voter suppression has been an issue since day one um, that America first began voting and still is today. But this is dedicated to the extreme suppression black people have faced in our very recent history. My sources came from an article in Carnegie.org called Voting Rights, A Short History. Uh, I got some information from Wikipedia. An article called The KKK Kills Three Civil Rights Activists on History.com. Civil Rights Martyrs, a page dedicated in the SouthernPovertyLawCenter.org. An article called All He Wanted to Do Was Vote and They Killed Him For It by Push Black Now, which Push Black Now is actually a really informative organization. Um, you can follow them on Instagram or visit their website, but they also have a podcast called Black History Year, which is also mm. really good. Um, I also got information from Voting Massacre on Okoe by Jesse Gooding an article in the Washington Post by Jillian Brockell, and finally an article by the Constitutional Rights Foundation called Race and Voting in the Segregated South. So this is information pulled from a ton of different sources. So I wanted to start by giving a brief overview of the history of voting rights in the U.S. In the 1700s, voting was generally reserved for white males who owned land, which at the time was only about 6% of the population. The U.S. Constitution originally left it to states to determine who was qualified to vote in elections. So some states also employed religious tests to ensure that only Christian men could vote. Then we have the Three-Fifths Compromise, which was a compromise reached among state delegates during the 1787 United States Constitutional Convention, um, how slaves would be counted when determining a state's total population for legislative representation and taxing purposes was important, as this population number would have been used to determine the number of seats that the state would have in the United States House of Representatives for the next 10 years. The compromise solution was to count three out of every five slaves as people for this purpose. Its effect was to give the southern states a third more seats in Congress and a third more electoral votes than if slaves had been ignored, but fewer than if slaves and free people had been counted equally. In 1869, after the Civil War, Congress passed the 15th Amendment to the Constitution, which ensured that people could not be denied the right to vote because of their race. Following this change, though, many states, especially in the South, used a range of barriers such as poll taxes, which many black people were unable to afford at the time, and literacy tests to deliberately reduce voting among African-American men, which also affected other minorities' rights to vote as well. 
So I've seen examples of the literacy test and it definitely is not a literacy test. Um, it's more like riddles almost. Um, it's meant to trick someone to easily fail. Like, I don't think I would have passed if I didn't know what they were trying to do. Um, I also read that there were different versions of the tests mm -hmm. and that the administrator was able to decide which test to give in which white people would get the easy one and black people would get the tricky one. Um, and I read another article that interviewed someone who was given a literacy test in the 60s and he remembers a question asking, how many bubbles are in a bar of soap? Oh and my the poll, God. yeah, and the poll worker was basically able to decide what the right answer would be. So essentially, they would just fail every black person who came to them. How many bubbles do you think are in a bar of soap? I don't know. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a tootsie pop? We'll never know. So I won't get into it too much because I'll be discussing it next week. But some of the literacy tests that I found, um, also from Alabama. I think you said that one was from Alabama, right? Might have been. Oh, <laughs> so one of the ones that I found that was from Alabama was more of like a civics test. And so it reminded me a lot of what my mom had to study um, mm. when she was going through like trying to get her citizenship. Yeah. And so uh, and those questions can be hard for someone who wasn't born here, who didn't go through the educational system here. And so especially back in those days when slaves weren't allowed to be educated. Yeah. How are they supposed to have all of this information? Like, how right. are they supposed to know any of it? Mm -hmm. Much less how many bubbles are in a bar of soap. Like, yeah. that's just ridiculous. Or the the riddle ones. Have you seen those where mm -mm. it's like, draw a line around the last word. So they, like, it wasn't, you wouldn't understand exactly what they're asking mm -hmm. just by that. And so you were supposed to draw a line, um, on word or something like that oh god it was just like a tr it's more of a trick i suck at those oh i yeah, suck at riddles absolutely. i hate riddles i'm so bad so the white resistance to black suffrage after the war regularly erupted into violence as white groups tried to protest their power particularly in the south in the aftermath of the civil war whites made efforts to suppress freedmen's voting in 1860s, secret vigilante groups such as the Ku Klux Klan used violence and intimidation to keep freed men in a controlled role and reestablish white supremacy. But black freed men registered and voted in high numbers, and many were elected to local offices through the 1880s. In 1896, Louisiana passes grandfather clauses to keep former slaves and their descendants from voting. As a result, registered black voters dropped from 44.8% in 1896 to only 4% four years later. Mississippi, South Carolina, Alabama, and Virginia follow Louisiana's lead by enacting their own grandfather clauses. In 1920, the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. However, it didn't give all women the right to vote, as minority women were still disenfranchised. 1924, all Native Americans are granted citizenship and the right to vote through the Indian Citizenship Act, regardless of tribal affiliation. However, some Western states continue to bar Native Americans from voting until 1958, which I think this is absolutely crazy because for them to be the first people on, on the land, the land to be one of the last people to be granted voting rights mm -hmm. doesn't make sense to me. And someone had asked me, you know, what this episode was going to be about. And I said I was going to focus on um, black people and the suppression that they've received while trying to vote. And they said, have they been the most suppressed? And I thought about it. And honestly, it might be Native Americans 
Um, so now I feel like I want to go back and learn more about that. Native Americans, wide and far, have mm-hmm. suffered mm-hmm. You know, greatly. So there are so many things that I think you and I could probably cover yeah. when it comes to Native Americans here and Canada and oh, everywhere in Canada, else that yes. Something that continues to this day. So yeah, those are, I think, definitely things that we would probably touch on yeah, we'll cover later, that later on. Okay. In 1965, more than 500 nonviolent civil rights marchers are attacked by law enforcement officers while attempting to march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, to demand the need for African-American voting rights. After this, President Lyndon B. Johnson signs the Voting Rights Act into law, permanently barring barriers to political participation and prohibiting any election practice that denies the right to vote on account of race. Lyndon B. Johnson is quoted as saying, A man without a vote is a man without protection. In 1971, the voting age changes to 18. Basically, during the Vietnam War, it was argued that if someone can fight in a war at 18, then they should be allowed to vote at 18. So today, since the right to vote is not explicitly stated in the U.S. Constitution, except in the amendments um, that we mentioned, they technically only prohibit certain forms of legal discrimination, such as by race and gender, but states may deny the right to vote for other reasons. For example, many states require eligible citizens to register to vote a set number of days prior to the election in order to vote. More controversial restrictions include those laws that prohibit convicted felons from voting, even those who have served their sentences. And in recent years, many states have also either passed or attempted to pass laws for stricter ID requirements, cuts to early voting, and limiting polling places. Stay tuned for part two. Yeah, that'll be Steph's episode. Justice Hugo Black once said, no right is more precious in a free country than that of having a voice in the election of those who make the laws under which, as good citizens, we must live. Other rights, even the most basic, are illusory if the right to vote is undermined. So to understand just exactly what people have had to go through in history to get equal voting rights, I wanted to talk about a few stories of what happened to black people trying to exercise the right to vote throughout the 1900s. And obviously, black people are not the only race to have had voter discrimination. Women and all minorities have had to fight the fight to vote. And I'm sure we can do a whole episode on each race and gender um, and the injustices they have faced for voters' rights. So I was raised by a black man. Uh, My stepdad, Errol, was in my life from the time I was about eight years old until he passed away when I was 22. So I essentially had three very diverse adults in my life um, who have made me who I am today. I had the black stepfather who showed me the discrimination that black people faced in society. I had the immigrant mother from Mexico who showed me the hard work it takes to start a life in a new country. And I had a white father who is very much a hippie. <laughs> um, and <laughs> That he- is not, that's not a... Like an embellishment. He really is just like the cutest little hippie I've ever seen. (laughs) To this day. Um, And he taught me the importance of equality and loving everyone. So, um, which having a white father who pushes for equality, I think is very important also in understanding how necessary it is to have white allies supporting equality. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was extremely lucky to have had the opportunity to grow up with such diversity in my life um, and see how different America is in the eyes of different races. 
Also, my brother is half black and half Mexican. My sister's half white and half Ecuadorian. Um, and my stepsister's black. So even my siblings are extremely diverse. <laughs> And since my stepdad has passed, uh, my mom has remarried and he's also black, um, but he actually has a really cool channel on YouTube called My Brother's Video Podcast, uh, where him and some of his friends discuss topics that affect the black community. Very cool. Yeah. So they are, they also did an episode on voting. Oh. So if you want to see from their perspective. Um, anyways, so I've been blessed with the stories of these three adults um, and different life perspectives. But my stepdad specifically, he was born in the 40s. So he grew up in the civil rights era mm -hmm. and he was an adult when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. He also served in the army. Um, so he experienced what it was like serving for a country that didn't completely accept him. Um, but one of the best things he could have done for me was being honest and open about what he experienced being a black man, the racism, the discrimination, and the segregation. He told me stories of him as a child and racist situations he went through that just broke my heart. It's one thing to read about these situations in like history class, um, but it's another thing to hear someone you love say that it happened to them. I was so infuriated thinking anyone could treat my stepdad like that when he was just an innocent child. And even though I had been taught about the history of segregation in school, I was in shock to know that my stepdad had lived it. It's crazy to think that there's people who are still alive today who have gone through these mm -hmm. things because we see them in movies. We see them, like you said, in our history classes and newspaper articles, whatever it is. And we don't realize that it, it sounds so foreign it sounds so crazy to think that the world was one day like that but there are still people walking among us dust who yeah have experienced that obviously there's so many people today who still experience racism but it's not the kind of racism that people experienced in the 60s and 70s right. And we see these pictures in history class and they're in black and white. And mm -hmm. the stories sound so barbaric that you just assume um, it happened so long ago, like centuries ago or mm -hmm. something. Um, but that's not the case. This was relatively not that long ago at all. Um, like you said, there's people who lived through segregation and civil rights movements that are still alive today. Um, and the white people who were so enraged about black people having equal rights that they protested, mm -hmm. looted, burned down buildings, assaulted and murdered innocent people who mm -hmm. wanted to be seen as equal. Well, some of them are alive today oh, Yeah, they're as just well. walking amongst us. Yeah. So you better check your parents. You better <laughs> check your grandparents, your great grandparents, because mm -hmm. they could have possibly been on the wrong side of history. Right. History has its eyes on you. Yes. It's a Hamilton quote. I know. They did it. Um, so as soon as I was about to turn 18, my stepdad sat me down to talk to me about the importance of voting and not just for the presidency, but also for local elections. Um, he told me how to register, how to understand the ballots, where our polling place was, and that at one point in history, he and I wouldn't have had the right to vote. So I should exercise that right as much as possible because people before me fought for it. Mm-hmm. So with that, I'm going to talk about multiple stories of injustices that happened in our recent history when black people tried to exercise their right to vote. Some of these stories will be a short mention and some I'll go into more detail, but all in all, I want to showcase how difficult and tumultuous and bloody the road to voters' rights have been for black people. I'll be talking about them in chronological order of when they happened. Ready? Ready. Okay. So first we have the Okoe Election Day Massacre. 
1920, in the small town of Ocoee, Florida, there was a big push and a movement for black people to vote in the South. Many white people, especially the Ku Klux Klan, were infuriated by this and held rallies and made it known in the community that not a single Negro would be permitted to vote in attempts to scare black people from voting. But nevertheless, they persisted. And on November 2nd, 1920, Election Day came and black people were turning out at the polling places. However, white men barricaded voting booths and refused to let them in. Those that did make their way inside found that their names were mysteriously absent from the voter registry. So Moses Norman, a wealthy black businessman, went to Judge John Cheney and told him what was happening. Cheney told him to collect the names of those denied the voting and those who were doing the denying. So Norman went to the voting booths to collect the names, exclaiming, We will vote by God. After attempting to show up to the vote multiple times, Norman eventually showed up with a shotgun, but he was beat up by the crowd and fled to his friend's house. Julius Perry, another prominent black businessman. Colonel Sam Salisbury was a prominent white man who had become the chief of police in Orlando, was ordered to find Norman and lynch him. The police chief, along with a mob of 100 people, found Norman at Perry's home, and a shootout ensued. Norman escaped, but the mob captured Perry. Perry was arrested and taken to the hospital, but the mob took Perry and dragged him through the streets, shot at him, and hung him on a telephone pole. Jesus. A note was left next to his body, and it said, This is what we do to the N-words who try to vote. The KKK then took over the city and for the following few days terrorized the community by burning down black houses, black churches, and black schools. Many fled from the town, but some were shot, and in in the end, over 50 black people died during the massacre. After the massacre, another 500 black people were forced to leave the city, and by 1930, there wasn't a single black person who lived in Ocoee. And it wasn't until 50 years later, in 1981, that a black person finally lived in Ocoee again. 50 years later? Yep. In 1946, Snipes was living in Taylor County, Georgia, after serving in World War II and was ready to vote in the democracy that he fought for. A federal court had just decided white officials in this county couldn't stop black people from voting in the primaries, but Snipes was warned that the first, quote, Negro that votes will be the last thing he ever does. On July 17, 1946, Snipes cast his vote and was the only black person to do so in Taylor County. A few days later, some white men showed up to Snipes' home, and when he went outside, he was met with a firing squad. They held their threats true and made sure all black people knew that if you vote, you die. After being shot in the stomach, he had to walk miles to get a ride to the hospital, where he waited six hours before he was taken to a room not much bigger than a closet. Six hours? Yeah. I mean, I'm shocked that he even survived that long. I know. Um, Doctors were able to remove the bullets, but without a blood transfusion, he would die. And it just so happened the hospital was out of black blood. Oh, goodness. In the Jim Crow South, even blood was segregated. Snipes died that night. Oh, God. It's so crazy that he could have survived all of this. Yeah. But blood is blood. 
it's crazy that they would have segregated that before. I believe me, nothing, nothing surprises me anymore. And like the fact that they would seg, quote unquote, segregate blood is not that shocking because I can totally see like a white person saying, I I don't want their blood. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want black blood running inside. Like, like it actually matters. Yeah. Like it, like like you're, it could have saved his life. And the fact that like, no, that blood is too good for him. Like he needs to wait for black quote unquote black blood. That's crazy. Yeah. May 7th, 1955, in Belzeny, Mississippi, Reverend George Lee, one of the first black people registered to vote in Humphreys County, used his pulpit and his printing press to urge others to vote. White officials offered Lee protection on the condition that he end his voter registration efforts, but Lee refused and he was murdered. August 13, 1955, in Brookhaven, Mississippi, Lamar Smith was shot dead on the courthouse lawn by a white man in broad daylight while dozens of people watched. The killer was never indicted because no one would admit they saw a white man shoot a black man. Smith had organized blacks to vote in a recent election. September 25, 1961. Now we're in Liberty, Mississippi. We got a lot of Mississippi ones in here. Mm-hmm. Herbert Lee, who worked with civil rights leader Bob Moses to help register black voters, was killed by a state legislator who claimed self-defense and was never arrested. Uh, Lewis Allen, a black man who witnessed the murder, was also later killed. Then we have Medgar Evans, another World War II veteran who wanted to vote in Mississippi um, in an election after returning home. So when Evers and some other black veterans attempted to vote, a white mob stopped them. Evers later stated, All we wanted to be was ordinary citizens. We fought during the war for America, Mississippi included. Now, after the Germans and Japanese hadn't killed us, it looked as though the white Mississippians would. Because of the incident, Evers became a civil rights leader in Mississippi. However, In 1963, Evers was shot and killed in front of his home by a white segregationist who was angered by his activism. Continuing with Mississippi. In 1964, James Earl Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Henry Schwerner were young civil rights workers who were traveling to help people register to vote. However, Sam Bowers, the local clan's imperial wizard, decided that they were a bad influence and had to be killed. Oh. While coming back from a trip, Deputy Sheriff Cecil Price, who was also a clan member, pulled over the three men for speeding. He then held them in custody while other KKK members prepared for their murder. Eventually released, the three activists were later chased down in their car and were shot. They were then buried in graves that had been prepared in advance. When news of their disappearance got out, the FBI converged on Mississippi to investigate. And I want to point out, it is speculated that the only reason there was even media coverage and FBI involvement was because two of these three men were white. Hmm. So with the help of an informant, agents learned about the Klan's involvement and found the bodies. Since Mississippi refused to prosecute the assailants in state court, the federal government charged 18 men with conspiracy to violate the civil rights of Schwerner, Goodman, and Cheney, and five other men were convicted. Eight were acquitted, and the all-white jury deadlocked on the other three defendants. 
On the 41st anniversary of the three murders, June 21st, 2005, Edgar Ray Killen was found guilty of three counts of manslaughter. The 80-year-old Killen, known as an outspoken white supremacist and part-time Baptist minister, was sentenced to 60 years in prison. He died in 2018 crazier stuff from this case, actually. Um, (laughs) It doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. So a crazy twist to the case is that when the FBI was conducting their massive search for the three young men, which they codenamed Mississippi Burning, they they accidentally came across the bodies of 19-year-old Henry Hezekiah D. and Charles Eddie Moore. But because they were black um, and not who they were originally looking for, media coverage quickly vanished and nothing was really done about it. So what happened was Dee and Moore were picked up by the KKK um, who believed they were civil rights activists, although they weren't. But they were abducted, interrogated, and tortured in a nearby forest, locked in a trunk of a car, chained to a Jeep motor block and train rails, and dropped alive in the Mississippi River to die. Have you seen the movie? No, but I, I was going to mention it right Sorry. now. <laughs> Mississippi Cold Case? No, there's a movie oh, there's called another Mississippi one? Burning. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. It's with William Dafoe. <gasps> I like him. Willem. Sorry, Willem Dafoe. Okay. So Mississippi burning. Mm -hmm. After an FBI investigation, two suspects were arrested a few months later. Klan members James Ford Seal and Charles Marcus Edwards, who then confessed to killing the boys. But the district attorney concluded that there was insufficient evidence for prosecution, even though they had confessions. Of course. (laughs) The case was dropped by local authorities, some of whom were complicit in the crime, according to the FBI. So the case went cold. Um, I also just want to throw in real quick. During the trials for this, there was like an issue of like who had jurisdiction Mm. um, because like some of it happened in Louisiana, some of it happened in Mississippi, and some of it happened in a forest where they said like, oh, that's federal property. Um, So there was like back and forth with that. But then ultimately they just dropped the case anyway. Oh, so it didn't matter. There wasn't enough evidence, even though we had the confessions. But after a documentary was released about the cold case called Mississippi Cold Case, state and federal officials reopened the case and prosecuted James Ford Seal of Franklin County for the kidnappings and deaths. They gave Charles Marcus Edwards, the other Klansman involved in the murder, full immunity so he could testify what happened. Seal was convicted in 2007 in federal court and sentenced to three life terms but he died in prison four years later. More people were involved in this kidnapping and murder, but it sounded like they had all already passed away by the time that this uh, case reopened. Edwards, the guy that was offered full immunity, is a deacon at a church. Oh, fun stuff. Still is. Um, so the documentary Mississippi Cold Case is really interesting um, because originally they wanted to cover... The first three rights, you know, the civil rights activists mm-hmm. that were found. And then as they were looking into that, they came across, you know, the this case and was like, well, that's a little bit crazy. So they got in touch with one of the brothers of the two boys that died um, and was like, hey, how do you feel about going back and seeing if we can investigate this? So he did. So they went back and they found Seal and this other guy. Still living in the town. Still living in the town. The brother, someone told the brother that they had already died. 
And when they found like, no, they're very much alive. They went to their house and was like, hey, you know, you killed killed my my brother. And at first they were like, no, we didn't. That wasn't us that we didn't have any part of that. Eventually they were like, all right, yeah, that was us. But because of that documentary and the brother going back to that town, they pushed the officials to open back up. So I thought that was really cool in itself. So I think that is definitely worth taking a watch. Um, But I also, it's just so disturbing to know that this guy is like a deacon at a church and, you know, he's done this crime that he never served time for. um, And he's just allowed to keep doing that. But it's just the position that he holds just doesn't seem right. And, And that other guy being a Baptist minister. There's so much that's not right with the Catholic church that I mean some this obviously is terrible but there's so many terrible Mm -hmm. things that just go on in the Catholic church that I don't want to get into and the Christian church if you are interested in a documentary that goes into um what I'm talking about there's an HBO documentary called Mea Culpa and it talks about I think it follows one specific priest who has been accused of sexual um molestation Mm -hmm. sexual abuse towards the kids at the church and what and how the church handles those accusations and basically just moves the priest around from one church to another to another yes i have seen that that i mean i it's something that you know being born into a catholic church or sorry into a catholic family you kind of hear about it and you hear about it in the news and stuff, but like seeing, seeing how like just blatant it is, it's, it was so eye opening and so crazy. Um, this is a huge kind of like side note and like we're off the track here, but it is so good. And at the end, the priest keeps doing this. And so he, they kind of run out of churches to send him to here mm-hmm. in the States. So they make him the like, priest like the head priest of a cathedral in ireland i believe um and so they no longer have to kind of follow him but who knows what he's doing now that he's in ireland but again like they he was given this like he kept getting kind of promotions like yeah here have this church and here have this church and then like i said now i don't know where he is now but at the time of the doc that the documentary was made he was given the, like the top position at this Mm -hmm. cathedral in ireland and it was just so crazy to me in charge of like a boarding school too or something like it's just bonkers um so that documentary the whole name is mea maxima culpa silence in the house of god there you go it's so good but i i liked it too yeah and i mean it just goes to show that it's i mean as crazy as it is that there's a deacon who has this history of having murdered someone Mm -hmm. clearly it's not that big of a deal (laughs) to them (laughs) yeah and then finally february 26 1965 in marion alabama jimmy lee jackson an american veteran and civil rights activist was beaten and shot by state troopers as he tried to protect his mom and family from a trooper attack on civil rights marchers His death led to the Selma Montgomery March and the eventual passage of the Voting Rights Act. And as we know, just three years later, Martin Luther King Jr. would be assassinated for his role in the civil rights movement. 
These are all not the only incidents of black people being murdered for their right to vote. Um, And it also doesn't include the thousands of people who were beat, attacked by police dogs, sprayed with water hoses, had their businesses attacked, firebombs thrown at their house, lost their jobs, threatened, intimidated, arrested, and forced to have to protest, sit in, stand up, and march just to fill out a voting ballot. And I wanted to include a little excerpt from an article by Jocelyn Stewart in Times Magazine. She talks about Frank Godden, a black World War II veteran who grew up during segregation. In the 1920s, when Frank's father decided to run for a leadership role in their community in the South, white men threw a firebomb at their house that exploded and left a huge crater where their living room once was. The family had to immediately leave everything behind and secretly relocate. In 2008, at the age of 97, Frank did something his parents never did. Hmm. He casted a vote for an African-American to hold the nation's highest office. Oh. Oh, now I want to cry. I know. (laughs) Um, Then he'd witnessed Barack Obama's election. Listening to the inauguration, Frank cried tears that carried the weight of generations. Oh, don't cry. I'm trying not to. (laughs) Oh, she's crying. It's done. (laughs) We got to take a break now. (laughs) So those are the stories that I wanted to cover today. And I wanted to do an extensive list to show just how much of an issue it was in history and how people literally lost their lives for their right to vote. So I didn't want to choose just one story to cover in detail because at no point did I want it to feel that it was an isolated incident. So if this sounded like information overload, then good, because I wanted to exhaust you with the story so you can get frustrated um, with how difficult and dangerous and deadly the fight to vote was. So now it's our turn to vote. Uh, November 3rd is the day. Plan for it if you have not voted early already. I know you can't see me, but I'm wearing my vote hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Steph has a matching one, so mm-hmm. we will take pictures eventually when we vote. Yesterday. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, With my mask. Yeah. Steph and I live on the same block, so <laughs> <laughs> our, our polling place is the same location. So we plan to go together. We're excited. Yeah. And we'll definitely take pictures um, and with our vote hat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my call to action would be to vote. Right. Uh, there are a ton of voting resources online to help you with whatever you need. There's vote.org, uh, whenweallvote.org, vote411.org, mm-hmm. usa.gov, rockthevote.org, and I'm sure there's a ton more as well. Vote411 was actually really cool. Someone um, that I follow on Instagram linked it. Mm-hmm. Um, they like had this huge story that was so, so good, but one of the resources that they uploaded or linked was vote 411 mm-hmm. and um it's really nice because you're able to put in your zip code mm-hmm. and it'll give you exactly what your um like what your ballot is going to look like and it'll give you information um on the candidates based on the party that you are affiliated to and so you're able to kind of be super prepared yeah because that's one of the things that I think as a younger voter I just didn't there's so much information that, I mean doing these episodes has been so like exhaustive almost because there's just so much information and obviously we're kind of 
keeping to certain topics here, but when it comes to voting, there's so much out there. How to vote is so like voting is just such a difficult process for so many people. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's so many resources. So that vote 411 was one that I really appreciated because now when I go in, I feel like I'm going to be so much more informed and prepared, prepared. Yeah. Where I'm not going to be caught by surprise on certain props or who's up the props can get really confusing and because there's so many most most of the time there's so many props Mm -hmm. um and so yeah like i mean i'm guilty of before just being like oh this one sounds latino or this one sounds ethnic or this one says democrat you know and that's not how it should be it's not how it should be you know like that's a i guess like a good way to start but not all people who have an ethnic sounding name or like have a latino last name have your best interest in mind right so it's definitely important to be informed so all of these resources are so important for anyone who hasn't voted already because i know a lot of people have already voted yeah Um, but for anyone who hasn't voted and is just wanting more information or is just unsure of how to do it these are all really great places to start and mm-hmm. it's probably still going to be confusing, but the more you look into it and the more you're educated on it, the easier the process will get. Yeah, that's true. Um, also for those of you living in California, there's a few prison reform mm-hmm. props on there. Right. So take a look at that, read into it. Uh, I'm not an expert at them yet, um, but there's an Instagram called, reform alliance um their name on instagram is just reform um and so they go over all the bills and i believe in multiple states actually not just california um i just know that there's some in california right now but i mean they're across the board um so visit reform on instagram i'm sure they have a facebook as well um but they go into details about the bills what they mean Uh, So it can kind of help you decide which way you want to go when voting for those. But I think it's really fitting for our podcast. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But to our California friends, uh, make sure you check those out. If you have any questions, um, reach out to us and we can go over it with you and try to understand a little bit better. We're definitely not experts, but we are happy to figure things out with you guys. Yes. So Thomas Jefferson famously said, we do not have government by the majority. We have government by the majority who participate. So it's time that we all participate. Um, Also, there's a good documentary that you should watch called Let My People Vote um, that follows a civil rights activist in the 2016 election as he tries to fight for the disenfranchised in Florida. And voter suppression is alive and well today, but that's definitely its own episode that Mm -hmm. Steph will be covering next week. Stay tuned. That's going to be a good one. That'll be a part two to this. Um, So real quick, my Amplify Corner um, will be very fitting for today's episode. It's a nonprofit organization called Black Voters Matter. You can visit their website at blackvotersmatterfund.org, and they have an Instagram under the same name. So this organization is pretty cool. Uh, Their whole goal is to mobilize to be able to help black people overcome any obstacles when it comes to voting, specifically in small or rural communities and especially in the South. So they have a bus that they go on tour with uh, so they can travel to each city and help register voters, advocate for certain policies, educate, and they hold viewing parties for like debates and things like that. Um, They also have these voting caravans that help drive people to their polling places on election days. 
Uh, they very much remind me of a modern day version of the civil rights activists in the 50s and 60s. Uh, in college, I took a class called the Sociology of Protest. Did you take that I with me? I think I did. Did we just take all our classes together? Almost, I think so. <laughs> it wasn't, I don't think it was until like the second or th- the third or fourth year that we kind of started aligning your, our classes. No, because your emphasis was different than mine. Yours yeah. was science, right? Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't until we got up into like the specifics that yeah. we kind of started drifting. But away. a lot of, but a lot of them were overlapped. Yeah. So in the sociology of protest class, um, the teacher had said that one of the biggest threats to the people against equality was the ability to mobilize both physically and verbally to help the spread of information and for unity to occur. And I think this organization truly embodies that. On their website, it says their purpose is to increase power in our communities. Effective voting allows a community to determine its own destiny. We agree with the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. Mm-hmm. Also their page um, doesn't post anything positive or negative about either presidential candidate. So they're really just focused on helping the community vote. So check them out and you can donate to their cause as well. And they sell shirts and hoodies to raise money. That's my episode for today. Um, reach out to us if you have any questions. We would be more than happy to try to help. Like Steph said, we're not um, experts. Experts at this. We're not experts, but we are people who also need to be informed, who mm-hmm. continue wanting to be informed. And, you know, we did research for these two episodes, but there's, like I said, there's still so much that we need to learn. And there's so much that happens between now and the next election. So yeah. starting early is always good and so that when the next one comes around we don't feel a little lost yeah (laughs) you know yeah Yeah. being prepared is the best that you can do Mm -hmm. all right thank you guys thank you see you next week see you next week bye bye in 1869 after the civil war (laughs) this is gonna be a day (laughs) so if someone out there does have proof proof no so if someone out there does have proof oh my god (laughs) (laughs) and literacy tests to deliberately to to deliberately reduce voting among stop me (laughs) do you want coffee should i just take a nap (laughs) i don't drink coffee (gasps) well i'm walking and talking with my mind walking and talking with my mind